welcome back to Trennis Magnus, Donkey Punches Reality, <laughs> presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and guys, today I want to revisit something that I haven't done on this show in a pretty long time. You know, there was a time when I was doing these uh, shoot the shit or shoot the bull episodes for PG purposes. Shoot the shit, though, is what they really are. Episodes. I, I used to do these things on a, I would say, semi regular basis. Uh, but then, as so often happens in life, it just sort of fell off. And that seemed like a real shame to me. So one of the things I wanted to do, number one, was, like I say, revisit that concept. But uh, number two, I wanted to bring back to the show for the first time since the last time one of my favorite all-time ever guests on this show, an early adopter of this show, a cheerleader for this show, and longtime friend of this show. I welcome back to the show the Dinner for Geeks co-host, co-founder, past tense, present tense. I'm not completely sure what's going on with that, but I welcome back Mr. <laughs> Scott Rifen. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Hey, uh, you know, I, I don't know either. I, here's Let me tell you about Dinner for Geeks. Sure. Um, I don't know, six months ago, we all had conversations and we said, yes, we'd all like to do this again. And then we said, okay, great. And then we looked at that. So, uh, yeah, it really hasn't. I, I think Ryan is holding out because I think he wants me to release. You know, I, my plan was, you know, I found a bunch of old episodes and I was kind of slowly spooling them out. It was going to climax with Jeff's wedding, uh, which, of course, the lead up to Jeff Jeff's wedding was kind of the, the breaking point for us. And um, uh, after that, I was going to do a series of exit interviews and just say, OK, you know, me sitting down one on one with each geek and mm. then... Uh, you know, uh, anyway, I think Ryan said the other day something along the lines of, well, I'm waiting for my exit interview first. And, you know, I was going to kind of close the book on it after we did the exit interviews here. You know, here's me summing up the experience. Here's me. Here's me. And, you know, we're not all at the table together. And hmm. uh, and that was going to be it. And then I thought, well, if we've all decided to keep doing it. Why? Why keep poking that bear? Yeah. And uh, and now Ryan still wants to do the exit interview. So uh, that's hmm. kind of where I think we are at this point. But it's, you know, there's hope for it. All right. Well, um, fair enough. <clears throat> uh, fair enough. The um, It's just either way. Uh, if it yeah. stays gone, well, you know, the old episodes will always be there. If it comes back, that's fine, too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just it really was and or is a unique show. And one of the things that I guess I... I guess I just never completely understood is the fact that a tremendous amount of that show's appeal. I'm not saying you didn't have civilian fans because I'm sure you did, <laughs> but it seemed like I didn't know a single podcaster who didn't love, love your show. Not one. <laughs> and then you actually spoke at, spoke about that on some, uh, you know, at some length, I would say in, one of the final episodes, or at least one of the more recent episodes, or yeah. one of the final released, or I don't know how we're describing it, but you went into some detail, you know, uh, about that, you know, what made your show unique. And, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought about, you know, just like what some of the practical limitations were, you know, for you and what a headache it was to make that show. But over and above everything, <laughs> <laughs> Trinus Magnus punches reality. 
my name is in the title for a reason. This is kind of like a solo thing. I never wanted to, to be beholden to others just because yeah. maybe I'm just that much of a control freak. I don't, I don't know, but it just seemed like everything that I would never in a million years attempt to do, not least of which, by the way, <laughs> is podcasting in public, but all these things that I never would have had the, the cojones to try. You guys did like straight out of the box. you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, it's funny. You mentioned that. Yeah. That, that is one thing I've not, I think we were kind of the, the show that podcasters secretly liked because, and I think that's why is, you know, like I'll constantly talk to podcasters who will say, you know, well, we've got to have this sound quality. We've got to have this and we've got to, you know, there's certain they, there's rules they impose on each other. And yeah. you, by the way, are, I think are a fountain of great insight with your, so you want to, you want to launch a podcast series of thoughts that you put out there. Yeah. Um, because I think, I think you do a great job of a couple of things. One illustrating the things that people will face when they do it, but two, really encouraging people and telling people, you know, if you want to enter this, anybody can do it. Uh, and there really aren't any rules. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of podcasters impose rules on themselves and say, well, it's got to be this way. And it's got to have a music bed under it. And it's got to have this and it's got to have that. And uh, it's got to have this sound quality. And like I said, and, and you know, this volume level and whatever. And, and sometimes they get so wrapped up in the rules, they forget to, have fun and entertain. Uh, and, and we kind of took the other approach and we we're just kind of like, whatever would be fun and entertaining. Let's do that. And let's not worry about getting in front of people. Let's not, I mean, cause there would literally be times where there would be people in the booth behind us responding to things we were doing during the, you know, the broadcast, the, the not broadcast, but the, the recording. So I think podcasters dug us because we weren't beholden to rules. And so many podcasters, tend to kind of box themselves in and say, this is how it has to be done. And it doesn't. That's kind of the beauty of it, really. Well, and, and like, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I've wondered, I don't like secret weapon. What's secret weapon? But it's like, if I can just speak to a certain aspect of your personal life here, you know, uh, you have made a career in talk radio, and if there's yeah. one thing I'm sure you're intimately familiar with, it's the do's and do nots of talk radio. And so the minute you become a podcaster, I get the idea, like, number one, you still have your talk radio instincts, but it's like, number two, there's got to be, there had to be a part of you that wanted to move away from that format. And you know, so I've often, yeah, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's it's not so much wanting to move away from that format as there are there are legit do's and don'ts you have to do in talk radio. I mean, there are legitimate things you really, you have to do. And there are certain formulas of certain things you have to follow and you have to have a clock and you have to have the breaks and you have to do teases and you have to do, you know, um, and, and all honesty, if I go on a talk show and I have a talk show and I get great ratings, I'm not going to be bashful about it because it's true. And if you don't brag on yourself, nobody else will. Right. But, uh, if I were to go on there and talk about uh, Star Wars and obscure 70s sitcoms and stuff like that, uh, I'm not going to have those great ratings. There right. are certain things that when you have a show on a certain station, you know, in a certain time slot on a station that you know does a certain thing, then that's what you've got to give the audience. You've got to give the audience what they're looking for. Now, you may slide a little something under the radar, which I like to do a lot. Um, but 
you know, you've got to give them that red meat because that's what they're there for. That's why they came in the first place. And if you don't give that to them, they're not going to come back. Uh, with a podcast, you're really kind of, you're up to talking about what you want to talk about, when you want to talk about it, how you want to talk about it. Uh, and, and then you don't have to worry about your audience coming to you. You go find your audience. You know, you go locate people you think are interested in this. You go find a Facebook group and go, hey, uh, you're dedicated to uh, making paper towels out of 1970s Marvel comics. Well, the other day we did an issue about ripping up your 70s Marvel comics and turning them into paper towels. So maybe you want to give that a shot, you know, <laughs> and that's 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 how you do it with podcasting. And it's not the same as with talk radio because you just you have a lot more freedom and you can be what you want to be and do what legitimately entertains you. And that, and, and by the way, no criticism of what I'm, what I do for a living, because, you know, I get up at three nineteen every morning and people always say, well, how do you get up at three nineteen every, how do you do that? And I go, because the second my eyes open, I realize I'm about to get to do something that I love doing, but there is that other need for an outlet. Right. And that's where the podcast stuff comes in. I mean, that's where, you know, we get to go do my Star Wars story and talk to people about Star Wars for, for two, three, four, six hours. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it's where we get to do Dinner for Geeks, where I get to have dinner with my buddies and, and we talk about just some of the weirdest stuff. Um, you know, it, it's uh, I, I did a whole, I mean, you know, I, I would never be able to go on commercial radio and do uh, an entire podcast where I do a commentary track for every single episode of the original Battlestar Galactica, but I yeah. did that last year. Right. <laughs> so... You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it really is what you want it to be and how you want it to be. And, you know, the other thing about it is it don't go into it looking for money because, yeah, you know, if the money happens, that's wonderful. But the truth is there's so much out there, uh, what you have to do really in order to make any money out of it, you kind of have to band together. These networks have the right idea. Well, the, um, you know, like the, the the whole money thing. Look, I started this show, and I think one of the, I think the first time I brought you in for a shoot the shit episode, uh, I I think I even told this story. But I got into uh, podcasting just because I had a really bad day, the AC was dead, and this guy from ARS gave me a price quote that I thought was freaking insane, <laughs> and then he tried to pick a fight with me, and I ended up you know you know tossing him out out my door. And, you know, one of the things that, that kind of hit me, you know, I, I just stormed upstairs, just, you know, working off some energy here. And it's like, you know what? No one knows, like, there's not this, even a sliver of people out there who know what I really think about uh, Bronze Age Batman comics or Superman 2, or, you know, like a lot of people out there don't know that. And you know what? Maybe, maybe they should, because I'm going to die someday and it would might be kind of nice if, you know, even if I'm only remembered as the guy that took a five minute cigarette break in the middle of his man of steel commentary, <laughs> which people apparently still yes, talk did. about. Yes, you did. At least that's something, you know? And, but I, I never came into this thinking that there's going to be some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow waiting. And one of the things about the, uh, about the whole money aspect of this I, I probably shouldn't say who, but I told – you can probably figure out who. Um, I told one of the uh, freaks, the illustrious two true freaks, I, I was like, look, man, any money that that comes in in my name, if you want to keep that, 
for bill payments, you know, anything to do with, you know, hosting, or for that matter, for your own personal use, um, you can, you can do that. That's real. Cause like, I mean, I get hosted here for free. And so if you want to keep that money sort of as compensation or keep half of it, or, or maybe just some of it, you know, whatever you want to do. And it was made very clear to me that no donations like that go to the intended recipient, which honestly, that's probably the more honest way to do it anyway. But it's just like, nevertheless, I never went into this thing <clears throat> expecting that I'm going to like Kevin Smith has like paid advertisers. It's one of the reasons why I don't really respect Smodcast all that much. Like, especially back in their heyday, I didn't really respect him all that much because he kept putting on this, uh, Kevin Smith kept putting on this man of the people sort of persona. Yeah. And on the one hand, but on the other hand, he would give you a word from his sponsors, which is fine. You know, if sure, you can find sure. people to sponsor your show, hey, more power to you. But then, and this is the part that irritated me, he didn't he didn't necessarily release a weekly show. Now, look, if you want to do this yeah. for love of the game, then I don't have, I don't really have the right to expect you to release a weekly show. If you can get it out this week, dude, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But when you do this for a living, all right, you've got, you've got sponsors, you've got people that are paying you money. You've got people that are counting on you. And then you turn around. Oh, well, there just wasn't time to do it this week. No, fuck that. You don't get to say yeah. that anymore. You know, no. I mean, what what is your boss going to say to you? I'm, I don't know what your salary is. Don't want to know. I'm just saying, though, it's, it's, it's obviously hmm? it's less than it was six months ago. I can tell you that. Oh, I'll, yeah. Well, yeah, no, that I'm sure. But, um, but you know, it's, it, it's more than nothing. And, you know, what is your boss going to say to you knowing that he signs the check every two weeks? Yeah, you know, boss, I just, I'm not really feeling it today. I'm just, I'm not going to come in. Uh, maybe I'll be in tomorrow. Maybe I won't. That's not going to fly. That is not yeah. going to fly with your boss. He's like, no, <laughs> you're going to be in today, or you and I are going to have one final and very uncomfortable conversation, you know? And Well, you've got to remember, too, um, if I'm not there at 7, you know, 7, 10, 7, 12, uh, the way we're set up, my, my station drops dead. Because my oh, station yeah. shuts up. My station yeah, shuts up like for me to talk. Yeah, like uh, like tech or admin or something like that. Uh, well, it's not, it's not even that. I mean, I've got a show to do, and uh, the computers are programmed so that I'm going to do a show. Yeah. And, and if so if you're day, not there basically to push the buttons, yeah. that's it. If I'm just wow. like, I'm not feeling it today, sorry. Um, yeah. You know. Wow, so you don't even get a sick day. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, you well, might. I, I mean, I've got a backup guy. Um. But it's, it, you know, it, you have to go through a process in order to get the backup guy to, to do the show. I mean, it's, yeah, it takes, takes planning and preparation. Sick days are not easy. Yeah. No, I, I, I would imagine. But yeah, right, you, anyway. you can't slide, you can't slide, you know, it's like, you can't go, well, if you're professional, like you can't go, well, I'm just not feeling inspired today. Yeah. Uh, Cause guess what? At seven twelve, you're talking. So you better have something to talk about. It's funny because I used to, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I'm a big Kiss fan. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, I was reading an interview with Paul Stanley one time and they were asking him about his, his songwriting, you know, his style of songwriting, what he does, his preparation, everything. And they were like, well, do you just sit and wait for inspiration to strike? And he's like, no, 
because you sit and wait for inspiration to strike you, it's never coming, you know, or it might come occasionally, but you've got to sit down and you're going to write, you're going to do it because that's, you know, that's what you do. Uh, and it's the same thing with radio. You can't show up and wait for inspiration to strike you. You've got to go find that interesting thing, that thing that you're going to turn into something, uh, that's going to be special. Um, the other day and, and a lot of times, you know, when you're doing a show, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I, I would be curious to know how your show prep process goes only because like, like I have gotten to a point with my morning show that, you know, I go in, I'm there at five and I spend my time show prepping and basically I do, I knew some recording and stuff like that and some production, but most of those couple hours are spent show prepping, planning out the show for that morning, going through news, finding interesting things to say about it, uh, you know, finding bits to do and that kind of thing. Um, but what I found is after and I've been doing it for eight years now, it, my everyday life is kind of there's a certain button that's always on that's show prep. Yeah. And it's always in the back of my head. Everything that happens as I'm doing it gets considered for the show prep filter, you know? And yeah. so everything I see, I'm always thinking show prep. And I'm just curious, like you're doing a podcast and you're doing a week. You are one of the most regular podcasters I've ever seen. And, and I and I understand that, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with, you know, the amount of fiber that you eat and that kind of thing. But uh, <laughs> you also release your podcast on a very regular schedule as well. And uh, I, I'm just curious. How does your show prep machine work? Well, um, I've got what I call, I don't know how much of this you're going to relate to, but I've got what I call the fanboy muse. Mm -hmm. I've got a wide variety of interests. Um, and it, to me, an interest, like you quantify that by what is the subject. So Legion of Superheroes is a comic book. Superman is a comic book, but they are different mm -hmm. from each other, so they are separate interests. Yeah. And so I've got, you know, there are days when, for me, it's all about Batman, the animated series, all day and night, you know, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so the habit I've sort of fallen into as, you know, again, maybe it's, uh, there's a word, pretentious maybe, to say fanboy muse, but I don't know what the hell no. else to call it. Um, as this takes me in different directions, I just podcast about that. Um, the reason for doing that is, number one, it happens anyway. And number two, mm -hmm. um, when I first started my show, I would just basically come up with a list of stuff that I thought would be interesting to talk about. And if you listen yes. to those first few episodes of my show, I mean... I think they've got a lot of problems. I find them kind of unlistenable now. But this is somebody who's like really not think he's he's either not thinking enough or he's thinking too much. But this I was talking about stuff, Howard the Duck comes to mind, that I didn't really know about, didn't really care about. I just was doing it because I thought, well, this is going to be different from what everyone else is doing. Mm. And it turns out that that is just a horrible, horrible way to podcast. Whereas a couple of yeah, months no, ago, you've got to be interested. You have to be interested. Yes, absolutely. And a couple of months ago, I was, uh, I did this big sprawling mega series, you know, these seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. Mm -hmm. It was all about, um, the early offerings of image comics, because that's what I happened to be reading at the time. And of course there's a little bit of me being cheeky with that, you know, cause 
who else does disrupting? And so I thought, well, throwing it right back at him, you know, with all of these super male gazy comics. Yeah, take that, fuckers. Um, and so there, there was a little bit of spite, but mostly it was just coming from a place of affection. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's you know that. And what I've what I've noticed, I mean, honestly, a lot of geek podcasting it really has cratered. I would say in the last like six months or year, where the numbers, like the top numbers that were pretty typical back in, I would say like 2016, nobody is hitting them now. So, but nevertheless, when I started this, I noticed that, wow, my numbers go go up. So when I'm excited and enthusiastic about something, it's like other people sort of glom onto that by osmosis. Now, there is a dark side to this. There is a dark side. Mm -hmm. And that is, I can't really turn this on or off. It just goes. Yes. And so, you know, these things that are kind of popular features of my show, for example, Magnus talks about Smallville, you know, people ask, hey, when's the next one coming? And it's like, I, I'm, I don't want to be an asshole about it, but it's like, I'm really not feeling Smallville, like, especially right now, like you had the crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover in the Arrowverse. And I mean, that was just such a kick in the nuts. You know, that, wow, you took Smallville in that direction. It's like, really? You know, wait, like wait, that's... wait, 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 because I didn't see, I haven't watched any of the, the CW shows in probably a year and a half. Uh, I know about the crossover. Were you unhappy with what they did with the oh, Tom God, Welling yeah. stuff? Yeah. What did they do? What are they? I don't even know what they did. I, I, I've got it all recorded, but I have not watched any of it. I don't think you're missing anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> the only reason I tuned in at all was because there was this big announcement in one of the arrow, one of the crossover episodes, I forget which one, um, that basically Tom Welling and Erica Durance, both from Smallville, they were going to have like this little cameo appearance. And so excited was I about that news that I dragged Dave Atterbury kicking and screaming onto one of my episodes of uh, Trennis Magnus Donkey Jabs Reality so that we could talk about that. You know, it's like, hey, man, like this... There's this announcement coming, and well, Welling, he's he's coming back, and oh my God, like what's it going to be? And so we find, you know, all these months pass, and we finally get to the episode. And number one, it is kind of a throwaway moment in the episode, but whatever. I mean, it's not his show, so what were you expecting? But like, mm-hmm. what happened was um, the John Cryer version of Lex Luthor from Supergirl basically he's going from one alternate universe to the next killing Superman as he can, you know? So there's, so the Superman of earth 472, he's, he's not long for this world because Lex Luthor killed him. And so finally makes his way to uh, earth Smallville, whatever, whichever earth that is. And there he encounters uh, Clark Kent who he's basically given up his powers permanently forever so that he and Lois can settle down, have kids and just have this normal life. And I was so fucking gobsmacked by that. It's like, look, I get it. You know, this is again, triple underline this. This is not Tom Welling's show. This is not his universe. This is, this is look his time. He, he was fine in his day, but we've moved on, but it's like, you just basically threw this thing away, like for no reason, and come to find out, or at least rumor has it, that it was Tom Welling himself who took things in that direction, 
You know, that was his story idea. Hey, Clark has given up his powers. And that, I, like, I, so, I sure hope. What? Yeah. Well, that just it so doesn't square with who Clark is and his no. sense of responsibility. That's one of the reasons I hate Superman 2 so much. It's like bad enough. Okay. Bad enough that Superman is going to give up his powers no matter what. But you mean to tell me that he's going to give up his powers for Margot fucking Kidder? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> Look, I can I can believe a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. I, obviously, I can believe a lot of stuff. But it's like, yeah. my God, man. I mean, <laughs> and have a little respect for yourself. But, you know, but whatever. I mean, he was thinking with the wrong head, you know? Yes, and, yes. Hey, uh, I, I can understand. You know, he'd never gotten any, any, any play before. Mm-hmm. Put it all down to lessons learned. He got his powers back, yay, and, and and everything. But it's like that's not an option with with Smallville. I mean, he's he's with the woman that he loves. This is the love of his life, and this is not to speak of the fact that Erica Durance is she really is unspeakably hot, and mm -hmm. she's by the way she's also got the sterling virtue of not crawling through wood piles. So you know, it's, sometimes it's small victories, you know, and it's and it's just like in every step, it's like. Superman would not do this if for no other reason than that show ended, spoiler alert, but that show ended with Darkseid paying a visit to Earth. And it's like, okay, so just think about all the times Clark fantasized, like in the early seasons, all those times he fantasized about giving up his powers, how great it would be to, le to lead a normal life. And the number of people who died to protect his secret, it's like, dude, of all incarnations of Superman— you don't have the right to make this decision. And all that got tossed out the window just to pacify Tom Welling's ego. And um, and like the thing is, I wouldn't have even believed that was his story idea, but I actually did have the pleasure of meeting him at a con probably a year or something like that before the Arrowverse crossover. And that whole like meathead jock image that Tom Welling has it ain't just an image. That's that's like that's who the guy is, you know. And I'm not trying to like rant or anything, but it's like my point in saying all of this is when people say, "Hey, you know, when's when when's the next Smallville uh, retrospective coming?" Because man, I just love that. It's like they're paying they're paying me a compliment. Okay, they're saying, "Hey, I, I I dig I dig you. I dig what you're doing. I like the subject matter, and I would like to have more of that." And that is a tremendous compliment huge and it feels like the biggest asshole thing i could possibly say to say i don't know man i mean it's just i'm someday yeah definitely but it's like i'm just really not feeling smallville right now i'm i'm just kind of conflicted about it you know like if this was how it yeah. was always gonna go i would actually rather welling have just not ever been on the show i mean if if this was what what was waiting for us then Anyway, and so Atterbury and I, we had a we had a tear in our beer fest about that as well. And anyway, so but yeah, uh, my point in saying all this is to answer your question. Finally, um, basically, I just podcast as you know, based on whatever I'm most interested in at the time. And it's actually started having, I think, a kind of negative effect on this show, this lockdown, because I think about what I originally had planned for this summer. It was going to be a ton of Vampirella comics. I wanted to podcast about all these because I fell in love with Vampirella comics 
earlier this year. And then the lockdown happened. And I like podcasting when I'm home alone. And it's just not really easy to get that right now. Like sure. the wife and the stepdaughter, they're at the baby shower. And so that's why I have the house to myself right now. That's why you and I were able to get together. But it's like, this is not the default state. And so, um, uh, you know, but like I said, yeah, that's basically the way that it works. If I'm into the Legion, then I podcast about the Legion. Or if it's Vampirella, then then it's Vampirella, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that's... But when, that's you, but when you crack open something nerdy, something to read, something to watch, they're now where there used to not be there now is a little button that goes, let me, let me record some thoughts as this is going on. Cause this might be a thing I'll bet. Um, yeah. Am I right or wrong? Uh, no, the, the antenna, uh, sometimes they, you know, they go up and sometimes yeah. like the weirdest thing, like, I don't know if this ever happens with any of your fandoms. Cause again, you're, you're kind of like me in that you, you have, I, I, I at least in my opinion, kind of a broad range of interests. I mean, the easiest stuff to talk about is uh, Star Wars, uh, Kiss, sure. uh, Dallas Cowboys. Um, and I guess, I mean, you're, you you enjoy comics. I, I think specifically Marvel, but yeah, you enjoy comics. Yeah. And so, you know, those four things, but it's like, I was, look, silence can kiss my ass, okay? I, I, <laughs> I, I'm working from home right now, just like everybody else, and I need stuff to listen to, you know, in sure. the background. And so for the past week, what it was that I was listening to, it was mostly the, uh, the film scores for uh, the Star Wars prequels mm. and just fell in love all over again with that music. Like, say whatever you want about the movies, but man, those scores are just something else. I mean, Williams delivered like a hundred million times over for every single one of those scores. I'm not going to hear a negative word against them. And yeah. that ends up kind of becoming its own little rabbit hole. You know, maybe, I, you know, it's been a while since I've seen the prequels. You know, I'm just going to spin one of those up. And the next thing you know, you're on a Star Wars kick. And next thing you know, you're podcasting about Star Wars and so anyways, and that's how it works. Sometimes it just kind of comes out of left field like that, where it's almost like you don't control it. And it, it sounds yeah. weird when I phrase it that way. So I'm hoping you can say something that'll make me look less weird. Go. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that it just, uh, and again, a lot of it is just, you have your antennas up and every time you see something, every time you do something, you go to yourself and say, is this the thing I can use? Is this the thing I can reposition? Is this the thing I can, I yeah. can discuss a thing I want to discuss. Um, and, and when the switch gets flipped on and the thoughts start going, uh, sometimes the most frustrating thing is keeping it all in your head and, and yeah. trying to remember as much of it as you can for when you the can't time get it when the, put your thoughts down. Yeah. You can't get it when it's hot. You know, yeah, that's, no. that's, that's my biggest frustration. It's never when it's hot Yeah, or hot. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's there. And the, the good news is that enough of it usually survives that you can put something coherent together. And, uh, you know, you, you get, uh, you know, what you want. Sometimes you, you take a few notes, you know, that, that dinner for geeks episode you mentioned earlier, where I was talking about kind of being the podcasters podcast, um, that episode, I, I, I probably wrote down three or four things that I felt like needed to be discussed because that was, it was really going to be a clear the air type of, of, uh, podcast where it was, um, uh, you know, we, we had a falling out most of us. And 
I was kind of going through the list and there were a couple of episodes that I, or a couple of incidents that I had recorded that are gone. I don't know where they went. Uh, one of them was Jeff's fiance at the time, absolutely cursing Ronald out. Yeah. I mean, just going to town because we had literally set up the dinner for geeks recording and we were sitting there trying to say to Ron, you do understand that what you've done is wrong. You do understand this is bad. And he's like, no, not really. And uh, she comes up out of nowhere and plops down at the table and lets him have it and then gets up and walks off. And we had all of that. Now, was that then, planned? No. Do that? No. Oh, okay. Well, not by us. <laughs> no, because no, no, she had a plan, though. Yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, she, <laughs> she was all over it. But no, it, it got really awkward because it was like, oh, but it, sometimes awkward translates to compelling. And uh, I felt like it was. Well, when I, it came time to get to that point in releasing this stuff, that was gone. The recording was gone. I don't know where it went. To this day, I don't know what happened to it, how it disappeared. Um, so I felt like I needed to do something to kind of uh, make people understand what was missing, what should have been there what was going to be there and where we were headed and why we were headed there and all of that. And I just decided to go to sit there for, you know, an hour and just lay it out. And, uh, I got a call from Steve Glosson after I put that episode out. I, I don't know if you know Steve or not. Oh yeah. Uh, big honking, Steve, yeah. Yeah. It's big honking show geek out loud. Uh, Steve called up and said, dude, if you would do a podcast like that every week, I would quit. <laughs> he said, "He said, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that we get into that for. I would just quit. And literally, it was me with four basic points I had to make, and then the rest of it just kind of filling in the background and telling stories about it that I thought were interesting, but also being brutally honest about it, and uh, and just kind of saying, okay, to hell with it. I'm sitting here in a room by myself. Let's have a conversation." with our listeners about what exactly we've done. Cause I think we've had a, you know enough years together to kind of build up the relationship where we can just sit and no bullshit talk about these things. Well, yeah. And see like, and, and that's the thing, like, I guess that I'm one of those people that would just never feel comfortable talking about, um, shall we say conflicts in public. There are certain conflicts with which I've been involved that I know you are aware of. Cause I've told you about, that I've never really made part of, you know, the public record. A, just because I don't want to take the risk of digging it all back up again. And B, it would really suck if, you know, people thought that they had to choose sides, you know, especially since yeah. it's not necessarily my side that they that they would choose. You know, but nevertheless, it but it is one of those things where I've always kind of wondered, and since it's all out there, I guess I don't have to be too diplomatic here, but I've always kind of wondered, like, how embarrassing is this for for Ronald? Because I got to mm. tell you, I mean, if somebody was out there saying things like that about me, mm. I, I would like to think that I would have enough um, self-awareness, perhaps, to say, yeah, I really fucked that up. I don't know if I can show my face in public anymore. <laughs> I mean, I really dropped the nachos there, and I like I don't know. Like, has there been what? Like, what's been the aftermath of that with him? Uh, if you don't mind, if you want to get in, you don't no, have to. No, but no, but no, no. I'd I'd love to. You know, one of the things I say in that episode, which is 
has proven to be very true over the years is he is probably the most loyal friend I've ever had. Uh, in that there are times when I absolutely do not deserve his friendship and he reaches out and gives it to me anyway. Um, and you know, very often people get upset with you, they get angry with you and they just, you know, they, they withdraw their friendship temporarily or, you know, I can't be around you or whatever, or in some cases permanently. And, uh, He's never done that to me. And we've gotten mad at each other. We get mad at each other, yelling, fussing, and kicking, screaming at each other. Um, but he's never come to me and said, hey, that that you did there, that was uncool. And I had a couple of people say, you know, gosh, you, you threw Ronald under the bus. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. One, in the aftermath of it having happened, we all agreed to continue recording and mentioning it, you know. So... Uh, he was well aware that we were talking about it and we're going to talk about it. Uh, he was well aware of how we all felt about it. I think he just feels differently about it. And he and I are alike in, in one very similar respect, which is we're both kind of sometimes maybe self-destructively hardcore free speech advocates mm. in that it, 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 despite the discussion on Facebook yesterday, um, but <laughs> You know, like, like I don't, I don't block people on Twitter. I don't block people on Facebook. If they want to say something to me, no matter what, how ugly it is, how horrible it is. I got this one guy that emails me multiple times a day saying some of the most spiteful, hateful things. And all I can think is you poor, poor man in your declining years, all you're doing is letting me live rent free in your head. And I'm not even, I didn't even sign the lease. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, he and I think are both kind of alike in that, you know, if you've got something to say that's ugly, that is to me or about me, feel free to say it, but understand I'm going to say what I'm going to say as well. Um, so, hmm. I, and again, understand, you know, the cuss out episode that, that doesn't exist anymore for whatever reason. Um, he knew it was, I mean, we were recording, he knew it was going to be something we were going to keep in the episode. He knew it was something we were going to leave there. Uh, and, and he was okay with it. He, he, he's not normal. I don't want to say it like that. Well, there is a, um, you know, a a comparison that you made to George Costanza. I have always thought of him as George Costanza and I, I don't know why, but that's, it's one reason I fell in love with Seinfeld was because I, I've always kind of seen him as George. (laughs) Well, like, that's the thing. I mean, and there's a whole thing about Seinfeld. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Seinfeld is one of those shows that I don't really remember, like particularly enjoying at the time that it came on. Mm. And I really don't think it's aged well, you know, Mm. it's, um, but I guess the other thing is I've never really met people that are quite like that before. And I realize, you know, TV, there's got to be a certain amount of exaggeration and stuff, but it's like, I worked in a call center for a while and the boss that I had my supervisor when I first started there in all but name, he was Michael Scott. I mean, it was, it was, it it was, it it was crazy. I mean, I have to, I have to give the guy's name in order to, in order for this story to make sense, but his name is Orlando. All right. Okay. Now when I first, like my first day on the job, it was actually his day off. And so I didn't actually meet him. So I did. So I had no idea. I had no idea who my boss was for that first day. 
He was there, though, for day two. But the thing is, he introduced himself as Tony. What? His his name is Orlando. He called himself Tony. And it actually, but I didn't know that he was kidding. I thought, oh, okay, so, all right, well, Tony, good, um, good to meet you, I guess. And so... Um, well, 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 here's here's why you didn't think he was kidding. It's not funny. Well, yeah, and that's Michael Scott. <laughs> he is not funny. You know, he'll tell a joke that... that and it's like... It, but he was like that about everything, you know? And, th- like, the thing about it is, I mean, I'd, I'd worked from home for all those years. I had forgotten what it was even like to work in an actual like workplace. Right. So I go to work at the call center and, you know, it it skewed mostly towards millennials. I mean, I think there were a few like lower spectrum Gen X, but mostly it's, it's millennials like my people. Right. (laughs) And, and so, and we're already kind of an interesting bunch to begin with anyway, I think. And, uh, but then, you know, but now this, you know, and he was just that much older, you know, than the rest of us. And, this is a guy who there you need to have a certain amount of intelligence to be witty. Yeah. And sure. he just doesn't have the 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 brain power for something like that. All of this is to say that you know the the archetypes of the office I I have met people like that all through my life. I've even met people who have told me I kind of remind them of Dwight Schrute. And so um, I I guess that's a compliment because like of everyone on the show, I mean, that's like the only one I could ever see being friends with. So whatever. But um, but when it came to Seinfeld, it's like I have no access point for the mm-hmm. for the show, for these people, for their for their just and just how petty they could be, you know, and <laughs> and and so it's like, you know, George. I think he maybe the reason he was the most popular character on the show is just because he's such a nut job. But uh, I mean, I think Kramer is probably the most popular character on that show. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, but, no, you're probably right. George spoke to me because he was very creative in totally absurd, useless ways. <laughs> and I guess that's, I guess that again carried over to Ronald to me, was just he's a very creative guy, but sometimes the creativity is bizarre and not really productive. So, you know, I I, I latched on to, and that was kind of my entry point. I'd watched it a few times before, and went okay, whatever, I don't get it. it kind of like you, but then once once I started seeing, and I was off at college, I remember that too. So, you know, I was separated from my home which i love so much and the people that i love so much and my friends and all that and so it it got to a point where i was visiting with ronald every week while i was off at college so that's that was really kind of why i kind of fell into seinfeld well i'm you know (laughs) fair enough it's uh, and i'm not even saying it's a bad show i mean there are very few female comedians that I've ever wanted to do it with, but hello, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you know, but I'm just saying, you know. No, I had a crush um, on her from her Saturday Night Live days. Oh, man. Yeah, see, I was, I was too young for that. Person. I, I, I knew yeah. her from, from Seinfeld. So. Yeah, her being on that show when I found out, you know, again, when I realized, oh, she's on the show. Oh, she was great on, she was, uh, there's a great sketch, and she's super cute in it, but uh, it's a dating service where they used to do video dating. You'd record your intro on a video cassette, and then the people would go down and what? You know, oh yeah, no, this was an early '80s thing, video dating. 
this is this is pre-internet, obviously. Uh, you'd go down and you'd you'd record. Well, I'm so and so. I like to fish and cook and you know uh, oh. all of that. And then people would go down and watch all the tapes and go, Yeah, I'd like to go out with that guy. Oh, uh, oh yeah. They did they did a uh, a video where Gary Kroger played this Star Trek nerd dentist. Uh, trying to do his profile, which then starts off incredibly nerdy and then becomes uh, a bizarre, sexy music video. And she is <laughs> one of the music video babes in it. But it's just, it's he's Ira Needleman. I'm sorry, I said dentist. He's actually an oral surgeon. Ah, uh, potato, potato. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, there's a reason because he's like, I'm, what is it? My name is Needleman. I'm an oral surgeon. I'm 31 and tired of being a virgin. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> and by the end of it, they're like the two babes cover him up with toothpaste and rub it all over his chest and everything. And it's it's a pretty damn funny bit. It it would make no sense to a kid today. Like, why are they watching videotapes? But um, yes, yeah, so I remember her from back then and uh, the SNL days. She also the Dreyfus part. You know this, right? The Dreyfus part of her name is like the Dreyfus Fund. So uh, the she, Boston Dreyfuses. I, well, I, I you, don't know. You, you've never heard of the Dreyfus Fund? It's this major, 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 major uh, investment uh, uh, thing. I guess best way I can put it. Um, the Dreyfus Fund. It's a. It's it's like a giant mutual, I guess. Oh, yeah. And Speaking of uh, she's stereotypes, worth, she's worth uh, go ahead. Of yeah, she's she's worth. Hundreds of millions of dollars before she even got involved in Hollywood, so she really doesn't need any of that stuff. Hmm. Well, no, I, that part I didn't know. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but, yeah, anyway, I just figured, you know, uh, throwing all that stuff out there. But, yeah, the free speech thing, I, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It, uh, uh, but, you know, it, one of the thoughts that I did have, though, you know, working through all of this and thinking about kind of like what this episode was going to be, the realization that I had was, you know, I've had you on this show numerous times mm -hmm. uh, to talk about Star Wars and less often, but still sometimes to talk about comics, specifically yeah. um, Spider, uh, Spider Woman, Spider Girl, uh, or Spider Girl. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Um, almost said Spider Gwen. But uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Spider Girl. No, uh, one we're, thing we're that not you drinking milkshakes during this. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Um, but one thing you and I haven't uh, talked very much about, at least on mic, is music. Mm. And one of the reasons why I at least wanted to, you know, pitch the idea out there and just see what comes back to me is um, we were talking a little while ago. Did this sort of deep dive into 80s glam metal mm -hmm. uh, just a couple months ago, basically right as the lockdown was starting. And uh, snapping up all of these, uh, all of these different '80s uh, metal albums that I could find on iTunes and whatnot, and I made a discovery, and I I don't expect you to fully agree with it, but nevertheless, I would like to get your feedback. And what I came to realize is, in terms of consistency, you know, from one mm -hmm. album to the next. And in terms of sheer output, you know, the number of albums released, Motley Crue is probably the best band of the 80s. Like, where are you coming from? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I couldn't come from a worse place than that. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, and it's funny because like I have certain Motley Crue albums, but in the overall, I don't, I've never gotten anything beyond their singles. Really. I, I find their album tracks to be horrible. I don't, I don't get their album tracks. And for me, that's a lot of this. I like to be able, I like people who can put together a whole album of stuff, not, two singles and let's get the hell out of here. And it's funny because even, even they talk about, you know, theater of pain being just, you know, a couple of singles and a bunch of filler. Um, Dr. I, I don't know if you're, yeah, well, see, there you go. I, I didn't even realize that. I don't think I have that. I don't have that. Um, I read the dirt though. And that's the other thing about Motley Crue is like, I read the dirt and I came away going, these are just really not good people. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I know ultimately that doesn't really matter. There's a lot of people whose albums I enjoy that uh, are not good people, but it didn't help out anyone. I read that just the entire time, going, these are just not. These are people that I really would never want anything to do with ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I didn't read the book. <clears throat> yeah, I did see the uh, the Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, there's a line yeah. at. at at the beginning of it, that it basically allowed me to put everything to do with Motley Crue, allowed me to put it in context. And Mm. I think the line was spoken by Tommy Lee, the character, not Tommy Lee, the guy, but the character. Um, He says, look, you got to understand, Motley Crue is not a rock band. Motley Crue is a gang, a gang Mm -hmm. of fucking idiots. And it's like, that's who they are. I mean, yes. Yes. And it's like Beavis and Butthead made good, you know? <laughs> and yeah. And like probably the most together of them all, and this isn't saying much, but the most together of them all is probably Mick Mars. The rest of them, it's like it's their chaos on wheels. Mm. And I don't know why, but it's like sometimes I don't know if this is a problem you have, but I need to be able to not just in enjoy a song i need to understand the band all right i need to understand them sometimes yeah and that that one that one fact unlocked everything else <laughs> and or or, or or for that matter here's another one right um dream theater i mm-hmm. loved past tense dream theater and one of the things that I realized was how musically weird they really are. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean like the Portnoy era. So basically insert their beginning to 2010, right? Yeah. What I discovered when I was paying, I'm sure somebody who's more, who's more musically inclined or learned than me probably picked up on this sooner. But what I noticed was, they don't have a conventional rhythm section, you know, like you've got the drummer, he sets the time, then you've got the bassist who, uh, like embellishes the, the, the rhythm track. Then you've got the, the guitarist then you've got the singer and keyboards perhaps in there somewhere. And that is not the way that band functioned, you know, mm-hmm. the drums, at least when Portnoy was the drummer, the drums would follow the lead guitar Whereas the bass would follow the keyboards and then the sing the, the vocalist just kind of has to elbow his way in wherever he can. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that like if anyone else was to uh, anyone else who were to attempt that, I don't think it would be a musically successful 
thing. But somehow mm. they're able to make it work, and I truly cannot explain why, but somehow it does. And that's why I use their music so much as my intro music. So, yeah, you know. I, I always kind of saw them, and maybe you'll, maybe you'll, I don't know how you respond to this. Uh, I always kind of saw them as a hard rock rush. Yes, absolutely. Uh, lots and lots and lots of chops and no fear about putting the chops out there on display. And I think that to me, that's a lot of the appeal to them is that it really just, I mean, a lot of just a lot of great chops and they just go out there and say, here, this is, this is how we play and we play amazing and, uh, uh, deal with it. Well, the, the realization I had was that they're kind of starting just to, since we were talking about Motley Crue, they're kind of mm-hmm. starting from uh, a kind of similar starting point as Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. It, they just kind of go in different directions. You know, Dream Theater, they kind of reach for your head. Whereas, let's face it, Motley Crue, maybe they're reaching a little bit further down. Um, I'm yeah. not saying that all uh, of their music is horny music. I'm not making that claim. No, but I'm so not going to overlook the obvious either. <laughs> no, they have drug music as well. It's not just oh, horny. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, anyway, um, now in terms of Kiss, um, one of the things I like, okay, I know that you love Kiss. I'll even say, I think they're your favorite. Can you, as somebody who is a complete outsider when it comes to Kiss, what, Mm. what is the appeal? I'm not saying you're right or you're wrong. I just, I, I don't understand. So please. No, no, I'm right. Um, the, (laughs) the, uh, (laughs) The appeal as a kid was, was, I mean, initially it's the visuals, obviously. I mean, initially as a kid, you're going, these guys, look, you know, I'm a comic book kid. And, you know, when you see things like the human fly, it's funny, Gardner was posting covers the other day of his issues of the human fly that he'd gotten. And we saw the human fly really performing stunts in real life. And then he gets his own Marvel comic. That's, that's the thing. We've got superheroes that are, that are real. And that's kind of the way I always saw Kiss. They were superheroes that were real. And so that was part of the appeal. Um, The other angle to it was that, I mean, I I love the songs. I do love the songs. I do love the music. I I do love the hooks, the melodies. But the other thing is, you know, they do a lot of songs about sex. (laughs) <laughs> but in between those, they do a lot of songs about self-empowerment. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, Shout It Out Loud is a self-empowerment song. You can do it. You can, uh, there's a song on music from the elder called I. It's the last song on the album. It is probably one of my all-time favorite Kiss songs, though nobody knows it. Um, and when you listen to it, it is straight up 100%. You can do it. You can do anything you want to do. You don't need any distractions. You just need to do it. Uh, and that's kind of the philosophy that has always come through in what they do. And, and it's, it's one reason why when they did an album, they, they tried to do a grungy album in the mid-90s called Carnival of Souls. Yeah. Uh, and it's one reason why I kind of always rejected that album. You know, it's probably not as bad as I've always made it out to be, but uh, it's just so dark. It's so thematically depressing to me, and it's, that's, not, that's never what they were. You know, they were a positive band. They were uplifting. They were, they were, you know, always uh, celebrating life. And that is what has always drawn me to them. I mean, the visuals for starters, but I stuck around because uh, the attitude of 
you can do it. Uh, self-empowerment, you know, motivation. Uh, you know, if, if somebody tells you you can't do something, you not only do it, but you shove the bastard's faces in it. Hmm. And that's kind of always been the attitude of kiss. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I always identified with them so strongly because that was always me. I was always a real competitive kid. And, uh, when somebody told me I couldn't do something, I not only did it, but I made sure they were very regretful that they ever told me I couldn't. <laughs> so, okay. Fair enough. You know, well, the, um, and well, let me, let me throw one more thing in here. Oh, sure. Paul Stanley would, you know, Paul Stanley sings probably half the songs. Right. Um, Paul Stanley has a scream that or did doesn't now, unfortunately. Uh, but Paul Stanley in his heyday had a scream that was the sound of every teenage frustration I ever had. And now, was so, this like a like a Robert Plant type scream or a James Hetfield type scream? I'd call it more of a Roger Daltrey kind of scream. Oh. Okay. All right. So like that, almost like triumphant sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking of won't get, uh, won't get fooled again. That one yes. at the very end. Yes. Okay. Very like that. Very. Okay. okay. And, uh, you know, and, and so that was one of the things that, that I, you know, I expressed my frustrations vicariously through those screams. <laughs> well, the, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny, like the sort of the you talk about relating to a band, you know, <clears throat> and it, it's just it, it's the funniest thing. I thought I was the only one, you know, I thought I was the only one that did that. But, you know, you're sitting there and you're you're telling your story and it just sort of reminded me of like the biograph, like the obscene amount of biographical overlap. I have like my life has with the or at least elements or certain passages of uh, the career of the band, the Smashing Pumpkins, right? Mm -hmm. um, because they started hitting it big right around a little bit before I was really starting to come of age. And then they, they had certain, they experienced certain difficulties and challenges right around the same time I was experiencing different challenges. I mean, I never woke up one morning to find out that my, uh, one of my band members had overdosed on heroin. I, that had never, that's never happened to me, but no other things perhaps. Um, <laughs> and like when, like at the moment that like specifically that incident happened, you know, the death of their, uh, their touring keyboardist and then the overdose of their drummer, he survived, but, um, it was that's just like Jimmy, right around. Is that right? What's that? It's a Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy Chamberlain. Yeah, Jimmy Chamberlain. Yeah. And, just about the time that that was happening, it's like my life was kind of turning to shit in high school where like everything, like I, I look back on my freshman year of high school. It's like, dude, that was like walking on air. I mean, hmm. um, everything was breaking my way. I was, uh, I was dating girls. I was a member of the tennis team. And, and that was just about the time that melancholy and the infinite sadness, they're probably their most famous and biggest selling album. That's when that was on the ascendancy. And, Man, I could do no freaking wrong my freshman year. Everything was everything was coming up Millhouse, you know. <laughs> then you start getting into my sophomore year where things just fell the fuck apart right around the same time that they were falling apart for the band too. 
And then, you know, they, you know, they did smaller things from, from that time on, just trying to kind of get their confidence back. And that was me through the remainder of high school. And it's like, my God, it's just, it's, there are so, there are so many overlaps. And it's like, this is not just in my head, you know, it's, it's not, again, yeah. it's not like a literal thing. It's more kind of like a, a metaphorical kind of a, kind of a connection, but it's like, you're sitting there and, and you were talking about, you know, how you kind of related to the band on a personal level. And it's like, Oh, I'm not so weird after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe I am. So no, no, I think most of us, most of us who have a band that we, you know, that are our band at any one point, a lot of that reason is because of that. Um, you know, kiss gets, uh, accused of being, you know, money grubbing and all that other stuff. And I'm like, Yes, they're capitalists. I'm a stark raging capitalist. This is great. What's the problem here? So, well, the thing about it that I loved so much, um, somebody told a joke. Um, God, I, I don't. It was before this. Okay, it was before this. But somebody told a joke. Yeah, you know, someday they're probably going to introduce a line of kiss caskets, so you can be buried with what you love. And apparently somebody connected to Kiss overheard that and they thought, hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm look, I'm I don't know where you're coming from on this, but I'm of the opinion that in the fraternity that you and I exist in, when you come right down to it, we have I think we only have one golden rule. One golden rule. Mm-hmm. And that is you never, ever in a, in a mean spirited kind of way, pick on somebody for their fandom ever. Yeah. Um, if now, if you want to tease, it's hard, it's hard with the bronies, but yeah, uh, I look, I, I, I was actually going to say it's, it's hard with the twilight fans, <laughs> yeah, that's true but, too. but, um, but it all kind of goes to the, to the same point, you know, that, um, it's one thing to have like this kind of fun and games, uh, you know, DC versus Marvel oh, thing yeah. going. I've been part of that from the get-go. I, I love it. And I'll never leave it. But you do not give someone, and I mean like, not in a fun way. I mean in a very harsh and mean-spirited kind of way. You don't ever pick on somebody for their fandom. And as I apply yeah. that to KISS, I don't see anything that I disapprove of with with the KISS army. They they're a devoted bunch. They have something that they love and they care about. They're not quite to the level of like deadheads or juggalos or, or any of those uh, types that even I'm having a hard time excusing the deadheads and the, and the juggalos. All right. But, well, well, we bathe. Well, yeah, and there I mean, is that's that. the biggest thing. We, we don't, we, we're not going to follow them on the road to 500 dates. Cause we, we've got to stop and bathe sometime. And most well, of us go to work. Yeah. And that too. That yeah, that too. But the other thing is, I've always thought that you know there needs to be, there needs to be a line, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know how you apply this line to comics or to like a film franchise type fandom, but at least for rock bands, the line is easy to apply. Where if people are having sex with each other in the crowd whenever you you're playing your concerts. Mm-hmm. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> and that happened, or it happened a lot at a, at a, a Grateful Dead shows. And I've been told that the Juggalos are no stranger to that themselves. You know, you're, you're in the mood. And 
or I don't even know if they're necessarily doing that, but like clothes are coming off and stuff like that. It's like, what the fuck, dude? It's like, this is supposed to be a rock concert, not a Roman orgy, you know? But, um, but anyway, uh, short of that, as long as everyone keeps the clothes on, pretty much I don't have a problem, but there's a reason I've never gone to those con those types of concerts. Um, yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> here, here's, and here's my thing on the merchandise. Like you talk about the casket. Cause okay. I've had people come at me over the merchandise and stuff. And the truth is I don't buy a lot of, in fact, I, most of the merchandise I get these days are gifts because people think, well, if it says kiss, Scott wants it. And, um, hmm. so, uh, but I don't buy a lot of the merchandise, but I don't begrudge them the merchandise because here's the thing. If somebody wants it and you have the means to produce it and you make it for them and satisfy that void in the marketplace, why, why would that be a bad thing? If somebody wants kiss action figures and you can license yourself out to a good company and make some decent action figures for them mm -hmm. and you, you agree to put them out at a price in the marketplace that will make people want to go buy it. Why does that make you less than valid? Why does that make you not, you know, a, a legitimate artist or anything like that? You know, why, why, why should you, why have you created something that has created the demand for these products? You satisfy the demand. Why are you the bad guy for it? Well, and I think there's th that same type of philosophy. You could just as easily apply that to, to Star Wars, mm -hmm. where George yep. Lucas doesn't have a gun to my head saying that you have to buy all of the Obi-Wan merchandise. And that's what I'm down to. I'm, I'm past all that other stuff. These days, I only buy Obi-Wan merchandise. Interesting. And, and um, but I, I do have a question, though. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's my understanding that when, when Kiss goes out on tour, mm -hmm. they're out of pocket. They don't have sponsors. Is, is that correct? Um, I would say that would have been correct for a while. It's not now. I mean, just because, why not? Okay. Um, there are people oh. who are willing to spend the money. Why not? Well, um, where I was going to take that was uh, basically to say that in, in the same type of way that all the Obi-Wan action figures and merchandise that I bought mm -hmm. contributed, in however small a way, contributed to funding the prequels, mm -hmm. the, the Kiss caskets or whatever you got, at least for a time, it sounds like that allowed Kiss to go on tour without a sponsor. Now there is now I'm yeah. not necessarily opposed to 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 sponsors because they really do lower ticket costs. Yeah, you have to look at their fucking logo and you know whatever. But it's like yeah. sometimes, look in life you, you take you take the the good with the bad. And I, I, I do have a question for you, though. Um, I remember I, when I, I want to say I was a senior in high school, maybe, or maybe I was a junior. It was something like that. But a Kiss album came out, um, Psycho Circus, right? Yeah. Okay. That was 98. 98. Okay. Which, All right. So September, I, I think maybe September 3rd, 98. Um, the, <laughs> that got a pretty huge push as I recall. And like the big yeah. marketing thing behind it was kiss is back and better than ever. Mm -hmm. And here's the new album. It's going to be big. And, and in terms of what you consider to be like mandatory essential kiss, like where does that album psycho circus, where does that stack up in the scheme of things? Uh, 
it's it doesn't crack the top 10 um there's it, i think it i think it's maligned by a lot of people unnecessarily because i think there's a lot of really good stuff on there i think the title track's great really oh, okay um i think there are some other i think I, I like raise your glasses on there a lot uh pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll is really good uh we are one is good um but you know it's also that was the, the they did the reunion and put the makeup back on in 96 did the huge tour 96 97 uh 97 was the best year probably ever uh because you know for a while there star wars was the number one movie at the box office and kiss was the number one tour and i was like okay yeah I'm we're back <laughs> yeah i'm reliving 1977 all over again 20 years later um but uh the 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 reunion tour was huge, 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 probably definitely money-wise bigger than anything they did in the seventies. And, uh, so they were going to kind of parlay that. It's interesting because a lot of the, I think a lot of the public perception assumed that was a farewell tour. Um, they never said that that was never the intention. In fact, at one point that kind of slipped up at the press conference where they announced all of that. And one of them said, yeah, this will be the first tour. You know, so it, it was obvious that they had planned on continuing on beyond that if there was any success, and there was. Um, and so one of the things that they felt was the next logical step was to do an album with the original four. Hmm. Uh, the problem is that many of the problems that sank that lineup, that original lineup with the makeup, originally uh, all manifest themselves again. Peter Chris, not really interested in focused playing. Uh, Ace, not really interested in showing up. And... Uh, so I think Peter is only really on one of those songs on that album and Ace is only on one or two. Okay. And the rest of it is Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and a bunch of studio guys and former members like Bruce Kulick. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's put out as and marketed as uh, Kiss's return, you know, the first album with the four of them uh, since 1979, but it really, well, in 1979, it really was. Peter was only on one track on the album in 1979, so I guess there's kind of a parallel there. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it it's and it gets slagged for that, I think. And also, it's not it's not their greatest album. It's got good stuff on it. It's good. Um, it's it's not Peter's solo album, which mm -hmm. could be the worst thing they've ever done ever. Um, <laughs> but it's it's. You know, it's it's decent. It's decent. But it, but look, it's not going to crack that 70s pantheon of those first three studio albums, the first Alive, the next three studio albums, the second Alive. I mean, it's not going to break any of that. It's not going to jump in front of any of that. So, All right. and, there, you know, and there's some good 80s stuff that I like a lot. I, you know, and I'm glad to see some of that starting to get its due again, because uh, when they put the makeup back on it, there was a lot of crapping on that stuff because that wasn't the stuff they were selling, if you know what I mean. Um, and now that's kind of starting to get a little recognized again and, uh, and I'm happy for that, but, uh, yeah, the album that you saw, and then they did a tour to go with it and a huge, the, you know, mad TV episode on Fox that week was about them. They were on millennium, the millennium episode. If you remember millennium, mm -hmm. uh, the millennium episode that week was about them. And then they did the first half hour of the show, the opening night of the tour live on Halloween night on Fox. And, uh, so and and they broadcast that at Westwood One broadcast the uh, first show of the tour live on the radio, and so yeah, it was a very very big deal. And then the tour really sputtered. 
whereas the previous tour, the reunion tour had been a huge deal selling everything out, going everywhere. They played 200 shows and this one, they, they pretty much just knocked it off at the end of January and said, ah, we're not doing this. Uh, yeah, they started Halloween night and by January they were just like, all right, we're done. We're not doing this. Um, but, but, but there was a lot of, I mean, again, uh, the excess that crept in in the seventies was creeping in again. Gene's like, Hey, let's do a 3d tour. Now on the face of it, that is one of the stupidest ideas you could ever have. Because if you're on stage in front of somebody, you're in 3d, unless they're missing an eye. Right. And so, (laughs) you know, but what they did was they, they had a, you know, the big screen that everybody has to have, they made that in 3d and they had 3d cameras, live 3d cameras that were incredibly expensive at the time. And this is talking 1998 and then into 99, barely into 99. Um, and all that stuff was massively expensive and the ticket sales weren't there because the novelty of Holy cow, we've never seen kiss before like this, uh, had worn off because everybody did get to see them. Right. And, uh, and every, and like I said, there was a, a misperception at the time that it was going to be a farewell tour. And then, so people started mocking, well, they're, they're, they can't even do a farewell. So then they went away and they came back and did what? A farewell tour in 2000. Right. Which and that I do then, remember. of course, yeah, they did that. And then of course they, uh, continued playing after the farewell, farewell tour. So, <laughs> well, the, um, at the time that a Psycho Circus came out, what I remember is, it, like, I remember seeing people my age carrying that album around, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Carnival of Souls, you, no, I, I'm I'm not saying no one my age bought it, but if they did, I never heard about it. Uh, whereas Psycho Circus, it seemed like that was, I don't know, not a a fad even it was but it, it just it wasn't necessarily unusual to sit in a friend's car and hey there it is you know no no but understand what happened to psycho to, to carnival of souls uh carnival of souls they were working on because basically kiss was operating on two tracks at one point they had their 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 band that had been their band for you know 15 years now or what 13 years and they were working that track to continue down that path. At the same time, they had kind of started negotiations with Ace and Peter, and hmm, we may do this reunion thing. So they really were kind of operating quietly, two bands behind the scenes. They were trying to put together the makeup lineup, but they were still continuing along the same you know trajectory that they had been traveling for the the previous you know ten years at least. And, uh, so they recorded carnival of souls. They had it out there. They had it ready. And then they did MTV unplugged, which immediately led to, okay, we've got this. This is going to be a good thing. We're going to do the reunion. So carnival of souls is not out. They have now put it on the shelf because they're focusing on the reunion and the reunion goes so well, they wind up firing the other two guys that they had in that other version of the band. And Carnival of Souls is still sitting on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And then it leaks. <laughs> and uh, everybody worth their salt could find it on the internet leaked. And eventually, in the middle of, I'd say, the last couple of legs of that reunion tour, they kind of quietly just dumped it out on the, in the, and, and if you look at the CD packaging, it's one sheet insert 
There's no color inside it. There's no lyrics. There's no anything. They just literally dump this out as cheaply as they could dump it out with no fanfare whatsoever. Wow. Because that, that kiss wasn't the kiss that existed anymore. Okay. You know, no, that makes sense. You know, they, in fact, they retitled it was Carnival of Souls. Then it became Carnival of Souls, the final sessions. You know, as in we're closing the book on this kiss. And they dumped it out there, and it and that's you know there was no campaign for it, none. Hmm. Well, the at the time that Psycho Circus came out, what I remember is, I don't know if this was like a self-imposed type of thing, or 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 what, but it just it felt like I had a choice, you know, like a binary sort of sort of choice, right? Hmm. Um, I can buy the Rob Zombie solo album or I can buy Psycho Circus. And I think we all know which of those I ended up going with. Um, and uh-huh. I, with respect, I mean, I don't, I, 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 I have no regrets, but it's just, it's like mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, I've never even heard that album, but, or at least not in full. I mean, I, I think I've heard, uh, I think I heard like Psycho Circus, the song, and it always sort of made me wonder. It's one of those things. I guess I didn't wonder enough to, check the rest of the album out, but always just, it's just, it's one of those things that's always just sort of existed in the back of my mind. Like, Hey, you know, maybe someday I should check that out. And I just, I, I remembered that. And so, uh, yeah, I love that Rob Zombie album and, um, no offense to you seriously, no. but, um, I don't think I made the wrong choice, but I've always been like specifically that kiss album. I've always been just kind of curious about it, you know? So that album was produced by Bruce Fairburn. And honestly, I think Bruce Fairburn was probably one of the problems with that album in that. I just don't, I don't know that he had a good grasp of who they were and what they do. Like somebody like a Bob Ezrin does. Uh, but Bruce Fair, you know, Bruce Fairburn is right. Not really. Or was he's dead now. Uh, he was the producer. He's the guy that produced slippery when wet. Oh, and he became, wow. Really? That guy. Yeah. He became the biggest thing in the world after slippery when wet and everybody wanted him, including, Aerosmith, so he did Permanent Vacation, you know, with Dude Looks Like a Lady, yeah. and Pump with Love in an Elevator, and he he was just became a huge, huge, huge hotshot producer because uh, he did Slippery When Wet, which is a landmark album, and he did New Jersey as well. Um, now the interesting thing is, how did he get the gig doing Slippery When Wet? I. How does anyone get ahead in that business? I, who you know, I guess I don't know. <laughs> Here's what happened. John Bon Jovi gets a copy of the new album by a group called Black and Blue. And he listens to it and says, you know what? I really like the way this album is produced. I want this guy to do my next album. Let's see if we can find out who this is and give him a call. Black and Blue, of course. The album was called Without Love. What did it do? Have you ever heard of it? Mm-mm, no, <laughs> I think that's speaks volume for what happened to black and blue. Great group, by the way, black and blue is awesome. And you want to talk about list of producers that their first album was produced by Dieter Dirks, who did all the Scorpions, big stuff, Rocky, like a hurricane and all that. Right. right, uh, right. It didn't go anywhere. So they do without love, which is produced by Bruce Fairburn, who turns around the next thing he does is slippery when wet. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, their third and fourth albums are produced by Gene Simmons. Those don't go anywhere, wow. but, uh, yeah, so it's 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 a shame because they really are a really good group, but um, they're the ones at their expense. Bon Jovi wound up getting this guy to produce Slippery When Wet, and the rest is history. 
The only other thing is the guy now who is playing the spaceman in Kiss after Ace left is Tommy Thayer, who was the guitarist for Black and Blue. So, so he had a happy full thing. circle. <laughs> yeah, it always comes full circle. <clears throat> I mean, most of the song, most of the songs on Slippery When Wet were co-written with Desmond Child, who was the first person to give Desmond Child a hit song, Paul Stanley. I was made for loving you. Uh, he co-wrote most of Kiss's stuff in the early '80s. Uh, they're, they're big singles in the early eighties. And then, uh, Paul introduced some John Bon Jovi and there you go. Mm. So yeah, it does. It kisses everywhere. <laughs> well, uh, fair enough. Uh, the, uh, perception that I always had about, uh, kiss and, uh, is this accurate? I don't know, mm. but I always got the idea that maybe there was a, like Gene Simmons went to a black Sabbath concert at some point and he just walked out unimpressed. I bet I could do that better. And <laughs> it's just, there's always been this weird association in my mind uh, between those two bands. And I, again, don't know how appropriate it is, but, it, um, but anyway, um, the, God, there's just, um, do, now, do you listen to any, uh, like any more like recent uh, type, type music? I mean, let's face it. Rock music is kind of, it is kind of a boutique genre these days but do you do you listen to anything new or 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 what rock is dead um i don't listen to a lot of new stuff because it's just not it's nothing that i've ever had a taste for i mean nothing nothing really impresses me I, every so often there's a little thing that i go okay that's that's kind of cute um but I've, I've not really ever hit on anything that was that was impressive to me unless it winds up sounding retro um and you know, I know that's a flaw of mine, but it's 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 consistent with my personality, which is I like this thing, mm. and therefore this is the thing I like. And so, um, when, when, you know, when there's some new different thing, I'm I'm good because I like this thing. Yeah, no, I um, get that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the reason I ask is, um, I thought I basically uh, tuned out of more. I, there's something that happens when you when you turn 18, that it's like, you just kind of yeah, zonk out of it. Yep. Um, it doesn't seem to completely apply to my brother. He's like a music junkie. Um, but me, it, you know, I, it's just, I don't know. I, I have my period. I, you know, Every I dig it up. and I'll never leave it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But totally understand that. one of the things that I did discover, and this was actually more in my twenties, um, like that post-rock type stuff, like Explosions in the Sky and This Will Destroy You and, and bands like that, where it's almost like the songs aren't really songs. They're almost more like compositions in a way. Mm. And this is something that I, I've even used a lot of it in my podcast at different times just because there are times when it, you know, you're getting the right kind of tone or emotion for something, you know? Yeah. And I was just kind of curious, you know, like, like, was there anything at all? And apparently the answer to that is uh, largely uh, no, but. No, but I mean, you know, every so often, like a, we had a kid that uh, came to work for us some years ago and he was really big into Coheed and Cambria. Uh, and, and I gave that a shot. It was, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was complex. It was thoughtful. It wasn't, it wasn't anything I wanted to bring home, but you know, it was, it was okay. I, but yeah, I mean, look, here's, here's the truth of it is that when you're a kid, you can't really spend a lot of money on a lot of things. Yeah. And so 
you kind of have to limit yourself based on that, based on your ability. When you are older, one of the things I've been able to do is go back and explore the genre that I love. So, uh, you know, I maybe had two or three Y&T albums as a kid. I have every Y&T album now. Hmm. And I love Y&T. Y&T has never made a bad album, in my opinion. Um, and so there's, there's a wealth of stuff out there that was put out at the time that, oh, geez. In fact, there is a, oh, there's a, a group out there, a new, new group. If you like 80s metal stuff, these guys are called Crazy Licks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard Have of you them. heard of these guys? And they're great. They're amazing because they are a straight-up 80s metal band when you listen to them. And it's not and, done ironically. It is just straight-up done. And they're like, uh, they're European, aren't they? Yeah, uh, yep, yeah, yep. Okay. And they are they are fantastic. But the production is spot-on. The songwriting, the harmonies, you know, the, the flavor, it's it's... It's amazing how good they are. And I've, you know, I've been trying to work through their catalog because there's so much good stuff. The only other thing really, as far as new stuff that I listen to, I, you know, film scores. I was, yeah, I've always yeah, been yeah. a film school score sucker and I'm still a sucker for film scores. Well, the, um, you know, you meant, you asked a, a little while ago, you know, like when, when do your antenna or antennas or whatever go up? Yeah. Yeah. And they're actually, I, God, I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but it does actually play nicely into what we're talking about here. Um, God, it was uh, like 10 years ago or something like that. I fell ass backwards into this uh, genre um, called synthwave. And it's uh, basically this kind of glorification of 80s culture. It's as much an, it's almost like it's as much as, uh, as much an aesthetic as it is a musical genre. I describe it as kind of like listening to my own childhood in a way, because it's got this real <laughs> synthy, like eighties quality about it. Mm -hmm. And so perfect it, is it that I actually use that stuff for my Legion of superheroes episodes, um, okay. especially like five years later, um, mm -hmm. because there's this, um, there's a song by this band called uh, Mitch murder called remember when, and, and for me, what that song, because it's completely instrumental, right? So I guess it means whatever you want it to mean. But for me, what that song is about is just how, like, not how cool the 80s were, but it was, it, it was I guess, about how cool people in the 80s thought the future was going to be. Yes. Yes, we and did. And it's like, back in the 80s, I guess the future was something to look forward to. Whereas these days, I'm shitting a brick. You know, and so <laughs> I guess what I long for is like a future that's worth living in anticipation of. And that to me is what that song Remember When is really all about. You're remembering when the future was something to get excited about and or at least to, to long for, to look forward to. And that really I mean, to me, that kind of sums up the, you know, the entire genre. It's not completely it's not a completely instrumental genre. You can find singers if and, and like actual like band bands, if that's your thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, as a genre, synthwave, I just there's something that's just so closely associated. Maybe it's just in my mind, but there's something so closely associated between uh, something with synthwave and the Legion of Superheroes. It's almost like I have a hard time separating them, even though I'm the only one making the connection. But to me, it just seems so obvious, you know. Yeah. 
And um, anyway, I don't know if you're familiar with that genre, but it's like I say, it's very synthy, very 80s. And God, I just love it. I, I've got hours of that stuff on my hours uh, in iTunes. Oh. I'll have to look it up. I, I I've heard the name, but I've not really I've not really invested any significant time in it. Like I said, I mean that's one of the things to me that's great about being an adult is you go back and you find the stuff you love. You go, why well, listen through this? I can listen through that. Never got to hear that. Listen, uh, we went to Disney uh, in July, and uh, one night while I was getting ready to close things down for the night, I was like, you know what? There's an old Kane Roberts album from eighty seven or so that uh never really given a full listen to to uh let me grab that and see if i can find it on amazon sure enough i found it uh kane roberts you know do you even remember kane roberts um no that's not ringing any bells <laughs> exactly okay alice cooper went away for a couple of years like you know just kind of he, he released some stuff but it all flopped so he kind of made it seem like he actually hadn't released anything when he had right. uh so he did a big comeback in like 86 uh, he signed a contract with MCA Universal, you know, at the time it was MCA, and uh, signed a, a, a record deal with them, did a big tour, uh, you know, the, the Nightmare Returns, and uh, the album's called Constrictor, and he had this guy playing guitar for him who looked like Rambo. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, swole, long hair, headband, in fact, he had a, a guitar that looked like a machine gun. And of course, you know, it fired sparks and everything. And this was Kane Roberts. And Kane Roberts helped him, you know, co-wrote all the songs on the album, really got Alice Cooper's album back. And then when Alice did his second album for MCA, Kane Roberts did a solo album. He had actually been part of a, a trio, rock trio called Phoenix Down, I think. And they had opened for Alice on the reunion tour. So he opened for himself on the, on, not the reunion tour, but the Nightmare Returns tour. And uh, he opened for himself on that tour. And uh, so he did a solo album when Alice did a second album. And it was really something that slipped through the cracks. Uh, you know, I knew about it because there had been a video that maybe aired a couple of times on MTV. Um, but it was, it, it was released on MCA along with Alice's album, but it was just kind of like, yeah, we got to give this guy a record as part of the deal here. Here it is. Now get out of here. You bother me. Um, and it's, it's actually a really, really good hard rock album. The next thing he does after that, cause he and Alice split up, uh, he, he loses, I don't want to say I lose a lot of weight, but he, I guess he slims down, you know, he's cause he was like completely, you know, like Mr. Universe bodybuilder, huge. Right. what he was with Alice and, uh, he slims down and becomes a little more mainstream looking and does an album with Desmond child producing and co-writing or I think Desmond child's guy. I don't think Desmond child actually produced it, but Desmond child co-writing the songs and one of Desmond child's handpicked producers producing the album that actually pushed a song into the top 40, but you know, like 36 or something like that. So, uh, nobody remembers it, but that was another really good album. Uh, more a little poppier, but still pretty hard rock edge to it. But but stuff like that, you can go back and go. Well, I bought the Alice album. I remember the Kane Roberts album. Uh, I wonder what that was all about. And you go back and you go, Gosh, this is something I didn't know about. So it's like there's new product from the genre that you love that's gone because there are all those things that you didn't catch the first time around. <clears throat> yeah, and like and sometimes you know you you do get the like the occasional dud. Um, oh yeah. And, oh, and yeah. I guess I, uh, like a good example is, um, at least for me, there was a, a Neil Young album 
called Mirrorball. Yeah. And yeah. I had built this thing up so much in my mind uh, because, like, it's basically Neil Young using Pearl Jam as his backing band for his own album. Yep. But they were off tour at the time. They weren't recording any new albums of their own or anything. They didn't have really a whole lot, a whole lot to do. And so the invitation comes in from Neil Young. Hey, you guys want to record with me? <clears throat> well, they love Neil Young. Sure. And uh, so, and they would sometimes play Neil Young songs on their tours. So it's not like they were strangers or anything. Mm -hmm. So finally picked up the album and, you know, and because it, you know, this was still the days of, uh, we're coming like, I guess really to the twilight of the CD era, but that was still the format at the time and dropped that thing into my, my CD player. When I hit play on this thing, what is going to come out, you know? <laughs> and yeah, it just nothing. It just didn't grab me, you know, sure. now, to put that in perspective, you know, like that same basic vintage of the band is what recorded probably right around that same time, I think, uh, Pearl Jam's album Vitology. Vitality. And I had yeah. Yeah. and I had that album, I dare not exaggerate, that was on a loop in my CD player. I want to say for, had to be like three or four months, just over and over and over, you know. And so taking basically that same band from about that same time, you would think you're going to get kind of similar results and you would be very gravely mistaken. <laughs> and, and and this isn't even anything against Neil Young. It, I mean, I've got no particular love for Neil Young, but no, no antipathy either. It's just, yeah. I guess I, I, whatever it was I was looking for from that album, he, he was not prepared to give it to me. I don't know. But um, yeah. Anyway, no, I, um, I, I get that. It's the same. Uh, you know, you're talking 80s metal. You know who one of my favorites is? Dokken. Yes. How did you know? How did you say that? You just jumped right out with it. Um, um, you've mentioned that a time or two. So yeah, I love Duck. <laughs> love Dokken. And they broke up and they got back together in the mid 90s and they released an album that honestly is a great, great album. Probably one of my favorite Dokken albums ever. Um. Yeah. And so I was so excited by them being back and them doing quality work and them, you know, doing their thing. And about two years later, they put out a, their, their second album back together. And it is atrocious. Really? It's that bad? They, yeah. They were on such a groove. And then they put this album. Oh, yeah. And the album was called Shadow Life, which I thought, okay, this is cool because my favorite song on the dysfunctional album was Shadows of Life. So I thought, well, you know, it'll be evocative of that. No. This was, I mean, you know, songs like Convenience Store Messiah. The hell does that even mean? Um, just hmm. really awful. Just a complete, they just went in some weird direction that had nothing to do with anything. And they were in such a good groove late, leading into that. It's just like, I, I'm stunned that this is a thing that I actually paid money for. But yet there it is. So, yeah, well, I totally get it. Well, there's a look. There's a school of thought that says that Axel, Axel Rose as 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 a singer, and Guns N' Roses kind of as his brand. Mm. The whole value of who he is and what he does, like a lot of it, really, it, it comes down to him being an artist. And so there are going to be times when the album he releases 
is, and I, geez, I can't, I'm, I'm going to, appetite for destruction. Sorry, took me a second. Not, not Chinese democracy. Yeah, no. Uh, there are going to be times when the album he releases is appetite for destruction. Yeah. You know, then there's going to be other times where he just goes off in these kind of weird, bizarre tangents and he does the strange mm -hmm. stuff and then he brings it back, you know. And like, that's what an artist really is supposed to do. Sort of like latter day Johnny Cash, you know, mm -hmm. where he was covering Tom Petty's songs. And it's like, yeah. that makes sense to him. But like the people yeah. in who, who follow his music, they're like, what the fuck? And, <laughs> and it just, is that, is that part of the appeal for you or do you prefer a little bit more consistency? I think I think there's I think there's a line that you can go to that meets that where you say hey, I'm going to give you something familiar but I'm going to put a twist on it so that it's somewhat new as well, um, and and that's you know in all honesty when you see a brand you do expect certain things from that brand, and I think in the in the situation with the Doc and Elm, I was expecting certain things from Doc and none of which I got. I mean, none of which I got. It's, it's, there is nothing Dockany about that album at all. And they've, they've, they've strayed a few times in, in the since then where they've gone and tried different things. And it hasn't been as, as just thoroughly objectionable as, uh, it's not going off and on a tangent. It is literally throwing away everything you did before and like starting at the ground floor. Mm. And, you know that's a nice experiment, but but when when there's only one album every two or three years, you know, I mean, look, my Kiss stuff when I was a kid. Understand, first Kiss album comes out in February '74, right? Mm -hmm. Second album comes out in October '74. Third album comes out in March '74. Wow. By September, you've got Alive. Then you've got March. Six months later, Destroyers out. Jeez. Uh, Rock and Roll Over's out by November. You know, so you're, I mean, just boom. They were boom, cranking then, it out. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way that's the way the industry was at one point. It was you were just putting out albums to stay on tour, and uh, but now you know when you get into this era and and I say the last twenty thirty years, you know when you've got one album every couple of years, uh, it better it better deliver, or else you're not going to hold on to me for the next couple of years for the next one. Well, and and like that's the thing. I mean, it does kind of. I mean, first off, we, we do need to say that the album as a as a form, it really is outmoded. Like, I don't know. Yes. yes. I, like, I, I really question the the validity of that as a as an art form today. Mm. But there was a point and I want to say it probably started probably in the 70s, I would think, where but certainly getting into like a little bit more my era into the 90s where, you know, a big and famous popular rock band releasing a new album. This is not just a collection of songs. This is like a multimedia event. Yes. And I mean, let's face it, like probably the most, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really not you're trying to go, keep in. You're going to go in, use your illusion here. Uh, actually, I was going to go a, a different direction. I'm, oh. I'm really trying to not continually ev uh, invoke the Smashing Pumpkins, but again, they're just such a poster <laughs> child for this. Yeah. Where um, their album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, that was a gigantic album. I mean, it's and, first and off, say gigantic. It, it was two albums, wasn't it? Was it a double? Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, you know, 14 songs uh, 
per CD. And it, it it's, it, I, first off, I am fucking addicted to that album, like to this day. I mean, that is one of the most crazy listenable albums that I have ever heard. And it's certainly a favorite from my childhood. I think it deserves all the success that it got. It, it, it's an amazing tour de force album. It's fucking awesome. I love it. Can't get enough of it. But the same month that, or, or right around the same time that album came out, of course, now I'm blanking on what it was. Maybe it was a James Bond movie or it, it was something I forget, but I swear to think it was a James Bond movie came or came out around that same time. And there is just no question, no question what the bigger, more important thing in the mass media was at that moment. And it was not the pumpkins. And it's like, this is the biggest art, like for, like for his generation, like that, that is arguably the, the biggest and most ambitious album anybody of Billy Corgan's entire generation ever produced. And it's still at best second fiddle to, well, your generation, I guess, but it's still at best second fiddle to some movie that's going to be here today, gone later today. And yeah. In, like whereas, in the final, whereas you're still listening to Melancholy. Right. And how many people, like whatever that Bond movie was, um, maybe Goldeneye, but it's like, is there, how many yeah, people out the there do what? That would have been about the year, yeah. Um, all right. How many people out there uh, are still avidly chomping at the bit to rewatch Goldeneye? I actually think more people care about the N64 GoldenEye than about the movie nowadays. Yeah, actually, I, I get that, <laughs> that, that, that same impression, actually. Yeah. Um, like the movie, it's almost like that was the vehicle for the N64 game, but that's really about the... And, and, and look, whatever. I mean, I like Pierce Brosnan as much as the next guy. I've never had a problem with him. I, I thought he was a great Bond. But it's like in terms of those, those pillars of my adolescence, those things I look back on and think, man, that was fucking awesome. I'm sorry... Golden Eye ain't it, you know? And, yeah. um, but, you know, I look back at uh, something like Melancholy and think that was everything it meant to be a teenager at the time that album came out. I mean, you're listening to it, you know? And anyway. No, totally get it. So. And the music, the music tends to have a bigger impact ultimately, long term. I think the music sticks with us because we, we listen to music more than we watch movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. I mean, you have to sit down and you have to block out time and you have to prepare. Whereas in just a little bit, I'm going to go walk my dogs. I'm probably going to have music on. I'm going to listen to my headphones while I'm going around. When I get in my car, I'm going to listen to music. Could um, be kiss. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> you never know. Uh, I might even get my guitar out and play some music tonight. Uh, there's just, you know, music, I think, plays a bigger part in our lives than, than movies. As much of a movie nut as I am. Uh, but even the movies, I mean, you, and again, you go back to Star Wars, uh, Star Wars without John Williams music is what movie jaws without John Williams music is what movie, uh, 2001 without all the classics is what movie, uh, they're not the same thing without, without the music to them. So I think music is, is a huge part of the human experience and maybe we don't always recognize it at the time, but ultimately, ultimately that's a truth. I couldn't agree more. Now, um, just uh, uh, a few more things. Um, mm -hmm. How are we doing on time? Like, do you need to bounce or, or do you uh, have... 
No, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I've got a, I've got a routine I've been working on. Sure. Um, and I, I walk my dogs in the evening for 1.6 miles and then I ride my bike, um, anywhere from five and a half miles on up and, um, and have dinner beforehand, but I've actually had dinner. My wife came and dumped dinner in here, so I think she's probably mad that I wasn't at the table. But uh, <laughs> we'll, sorry, we'll, no, we'll work that out. We have almost thirty years uh, under the bridge. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, so I, I've I've had this going, and it's something I can't I can't break. I have to do this. Uh, and last night, and, you know, I say five and a half miles. That's my starting point. But like last night I rode 10, the night before I rode nine and a half. Um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do some things for me health wise, um, to kind of take care of myself a little more. And as of this morning, now I don't, I have not thrown out, no, I've never done this on the show, by the way, my show. Uh, so you'll be like the first person to know this outside of my immediate circle. Mm. Uh, as of this morning, I, since February, I've dropped 60 pounds. Oh, congratulations. So thank you. Yeah. I hit 60 this morning. Awesome. And, um, so, you know, and, and it's attributable to my, you know, obviously you you cut back on what you're eating, but also adding an exercise regimen to it so that you don't have to go ridiculous on the cutting back on your eating and it's working, it's paying off. And, uh, so I, I can't, I can't not stick with that. I can't not do that. So I I got some time, but, but. You know, I do have to get that other stuff done, and it's probably going to take a couple hours. Okay, all right. Well, in that case, I just want to uh, close out by saying, you know, uh, all this talk about music, and then how you mm-hmm. perfectly connected that with uh, with uh, films. I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and embarrass myself here a little bit. Oh, no. Hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Um, at some point... Uh, basically after uh, Stacy and I started up together, it came out that she's a pretty big fan of the Twilight movies. And oh, I, no. ki- yeah, I kind of assumed, or she was at that time anyway, I think the, the bloom is off the rose for her. But um, at the time she was a big fan of those movies. And you know how it is. It's like when you meet the one, mm-hmm. you oftentimes like, you know, you know, like something in your bone oh, yeah. says that, no, this this time it's different. And so, number one, I figured that she's probably going to want to invite me to see the, whatever the next Twilight movie is. And number two, I'm probably going to say yes, if she does. <laughs> and, you know, I don't really have any kind of knowledge of those movies or affection for them or anything. But I'd li- I, I would at least like to know what the hell I'm watching as I'm watching it. So I just watched them, all of them. Now, are they the greatest movies ever? I'll just say they're not to my taste, all right? There's a sure. there, there's a fan base out there. There's an audience for those movies. And if you love them, dude, I am happy for you. You you go with your Twilight movies, all right? But they're, they're really not for me, you know? But I'll say this. For whatever I do or don't get out of those movies, holy fucking Moses, these scores for those movies are incredible. Yeah? Yeah, they are. I mean, they, look, there are themes, there are like little motifs and things that keep popping back up. Yeah. And they are just amazing. And what I try to tell people is 
All right, look. You like Lord of the Rings, right? Or lacking that. Do you at least like Howard Shore? Do you trust Howard Shore? Well, he he composed the, the film score for one or two of those movies. And he obviously saw some potential here. And as it turns out, the stuff that he did is some of the most memorable of that whole movie series. And so, like, what... Like what are like what is the story of every single one of those different movies? I couldn't tell you. I, I have no idea. But I can tell you one thing. I adore the, the the not the soundtracks with all the stupid pop songs. I mean like the film scores. Yeah, yeah. Cannot get enough. Those are amazing. I recommend them to oh. ev- like anyone who's listening to this, and you consider yourself to be big into film scores and stuff. Just yeah. put your biases aside. And at least listen to to one like I don't like whatever the first one is like at least listen to that whatever that is, and if you don't like that I won't say another word about it. But I'm thinking you're gonna want to come back for more. They're amazing. Carter my... Burwell did a couple of them. Yeah, Carter Burwell. Yeah, Carter... that yeah that was one of them. And I think somebody who Howard did... Shore did one. Howard Carter Burwell, Burwell did three of them. Oh, three? Oh, okay. All right. Well, whatever. I was wrong. You but... did the first one and the first one and the last two. And Alexandre Duplat did uh, one. Yeah. And he Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh yeah, no, I, I you know what? I'm gonna give those a shot. Yeah, I highly recommend. Very good. And I will and I will tell you I was open minded about Twilight until I actually saw it. But but let me also tell you this about the the Twilight audience. Sure. <laughs> They're an interesting bunch, yeah. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, When that stuff was becoming a sensation in the bookstores, I was very aware of it because I'm a a book nut, and I go hang out in bookstores. And so I was very aware that these books were selling a lot of copies, and young people were being very interested in them. And so I was intrigued. It's, you know, vampire stuff, which, you know, could be entertaining. And uh, when the first movie came out, I, I think I'm the one that said to the family, hey, let's go see Twilight. Hmm. And so uh, we went, and I I found I found it strange that she would fall in love with a guy who so, by today's definition, engages in what I would think would be stalking and abusive behavior. But that having been, I mean, he goes in a room and watches her sleep at that point, and she finds that sweet. And I'm like, no, that's creepy. That's call the cops. But. Uh, this is the weird thing. We're sitting there, we're watching the movie in the theater, and there's a series of horizontal red stripes that go across the screen. And it's hmm. the it's the digital projector's got an issue. Oh. And it literally, there's a series where there's, like, in horizontal stripes, there's a red tinge to the picture. Right. In perfect stripes. And I get up and I complain to the manager, who was a friend of mine, I say, hey, Rob, this, you, you, take a look at this picture it's ridiculous it's awful it's it's hard to watch and he came in there's like yeah i see that uh i said i'm sure other people have said anything he said no you're the only one who said anything oh okay so <laughs> sat down and watched the rest of the movie and uh a couple of weeks later i'm at the theater and he says you know we had to spend i forget how many but several thousand dollars getting that projector repaired uh after you pointed that out i said really he said yeah you know what else is weird i said what he goes you're the only one who ever said anything weird <laughs> oh wow and like and if you'd seen it you would be blown away because i mean just literally there's a red stripe there's a series of red it looks like the american flag 
That is a series weird. of red stripes all the way down the screen, and and for some reason nobody else had an issue with it. And I'm sitting here going, guys, you you paid you paid fifteen bucks to get in here. Would you not like now, to see it, it all through the right? Did it run through the entire movie, or is it just in yeah. certain points? No, no, no. The projector was something was wrong with the projector, and, wow. and it ran like that the whole movie. And I was just again, it just blew me away that nobody noticed said anything i mean i don't know how you couldn't notice it but nobody said anything and uh yeah i wouldn't you know. i wouldn't let that stand either no. I, i'm I'm right there with you i'm talking to the manager so not to sound yeah. like karen or anything but you know no, no well no but you know there are times when you got to go talk to the manager yeah sometimes Sadly. yeah uh but all right yeah. well um all right so i guess uh i guess in closing uh, usually, this is where I would have somebody mention the the uh, podcast that they're on and what you know what all they're up to. Do you have anything that you want to <laughs> mention right now? Or uh, yeah, you know what? In April, I recorded a new My Star Wars story. Uh, I am still editing it when I can. You know, it's funny. In April, late April, I recorded a new episode of My Star Wars story, and then May, I kind of did this thing that blew the world up, mm-hmm. and. Uh, for at least a month and uh i had to put everything on the back burner as i answered calls from cnn and abc and the daily beast and the new york times and uh um, you want to elaborate on that for the listeners or do you want to just leave it at that <laughs> uh you know what i'm talking about right uh, kind of i, I remember there I was a quite a big kerfluffle i just you're you seem like you're in drama all the time i'm wondering if it's the same thing <laughs> um may i think it was may 5th if i remember right uh, I made the editorial decision. I, a video crossed my transom, uh, the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Yep. And I consulted with several uh, friends of mine who were both political and black. And, and what do you think we need to do with this? And uh, I was urged to release it, and I did. And... Uh, that experience, you want to talk about doing an episode, just talking about the decision-making process behind that and then the fallout from doing it uh, and the toll that it kind of takes on you personally having done it and yeah. not and not knowing and knowing that you've just kind of unleashed an explosive on the world, but not really knowing how it's going to turn out, whether it's actually going to be a good thing or a bad thing. I think I think most people agree in this case, it turned out to be a good thing. Um, but there was a period of time where I just didn't know if it was going to turn out that way. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to live with it and you have to live with being badgered by people on a constant basis. And you have to live, you know, I had a, a relative basically disown me and, uh, just, you know, a number of strange things, but, uh, yeah, that's an episode. That's, that's a couple hours of chatting about that alone. But, uh, anyway, that made me put my Star Wars story on the back shelf and focus on some other things for, and that was at least a solid month of that. And then, uh, uh, you know, we've had things come up since then, but, uh, there is an episode recorded and I had a hard drive failure a couple of years ago where I thought I'd lost at least six episodes that I'd finished recording, but hadn't edited yet yeah. of my star Wars story. And I actually found one of those interviews. Oh, so awesome. yeah, I, you know, still about five unaccounted for, but, uh, just digging through some old backups. I found, this one interview sitting there. And, um, so I'm going to 
finish the one that I'm working on from April, and then I'm going to work on that one next. So sometime in the next few months, hopefully, there will be a couple of episodes of my Star Wars story, which will make a lot of people happy because uh, people always refer to it as, remember when you used to do my Star Wars story? And I go, I kind of still do. I just don't have as much time. Sorry. So there will be some. All right. Well, if you're ever hard up for guests, I'm, I'm available. So uh, You know what? Uh, that, I think, would be a great one to do. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if you want to, yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. So, um, then otherwise, I think that is basically that. So, all right. Now, uh, guys, what I keep saying every time I, I record one of these episodes is uh, I probably am going to be going on hiatus pretty pretty soon. Uh, you know, I've got a daughter that's coming. She's going to be born. And, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, she is. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know how it is. I mean, nature doesn't necessarily operate on, on our schedule. Not nope. always. And at this point, the doctors aren't completely sure that this is even going to be like a full-term pregnancy. It could be more like 37 weeks instead of 40. So oh boy. It, it, it just, it, it could go a lot of different ways is, is what I'm trying to say. But anyway, uh, all of this is kind of like a long way of saying though, um, when it comes to, you know, what's going to be uh, coming next week, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. I'm going to be talking about another Cyber Frog comic. And if it sounds like that episode is already recorded, that's because, yes, it is, in fact, already recorded. So, yep, that's out there. It's uh, it's coming. It's on the way. And so just, I guess, something to look forward to. But uh, I think that's pretty much it for me for this week, though. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. We are... I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, 
All feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story, monthly at mystarwarsstory.com.